Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA Incorporated's weekly Blog Talk Radio program. Today, our guest is Justice Ann Jorgensen. She is a current appellate court justice appointed by the Illinois Supreme Court to fill a vacancy, and she is currently a candidate to permanently fill the vacancy for retired Justice Tom McCallum. Uh, Anne, how are you today? Great. Nice to be here. Um, a little bit about our company. We are the Law Practice Management Systems Experts, and we are headquartered in DuPage County, Illinois. We are a company run by lawyers for lawyers who want the tips, tools, and services to help them spend more time practicing law and less, spend less time worrying about running the firm. We specialize in providing in-house and subcontracted law practice management services through our two main divisions, pleading drafter and law publicist. Our operations serve the greater metropolitan regions in and around DuPage County, Illinois, Fairfax County, Virginia, Orange County, California, and Westchester County, New York. Our pleading drafter division focuses on court call coverage, contract, and permanent attorney and staff placement. Our additional pleading drafter services include turnkey paper-free file scanning and all the other collateral functions of law firm production and work product. Our Law Publicist Division focuses on law firm marketing, branding, and image consulting. Public relations for law firms is a growing need, and ALRPRA has expert subcontractors ready to offer superior answers to law firm marketing, branding, and public relations. The Law Publicist on Point is our monthly publication featuring a variety of articles and resources to help law firms maximize their practice management systems and grow their firms. Our circulation to thousands of law firms offers innovative opportunities for legal professionals to share information and create strategic reciprocal arrangements. We thank you for calling in today, and the format of our show will be as follows. Justice Jorgensen will answer several questions relative to her position and relevant to law practice management issues, and at approximately 30 minutes, we will open up the show to callers And when you are listening live, you can call in, and the telephone number is area code 917-889-9732. Again, that telephone number is area code 917-889-9732. When you call in, you press 1 to prompt to be a guest on our show, and from there, our switchboard, we can uh, clue you in. unmute you and you can say hi and, and discuss with us. Um, in the event we don't have as many callers and have extra time, we'll ask and Justice Ann Jorgensen some questions about the Illinois Appellate Court, uh, questions that are relevant to those listening to the program today. So without uh, further ado, I'm pleased to present Justice Ann Jorgensen. Again, she is a current appellate court justice appointed by the Illinois Supreme Court to fill a temporary vacancy. She is currently a candidate to permanently fill the vacancy for retired Justice Tom McCallum. Go ahead. Well, it's great to be here, and um, we can talk a little bit today about some of the uh, technology that has impacted the practice of law. And we're going to start with a question about um, technology that's more tailored to uh, the types of technologies and uh, things that are being used by practitioners uh, today. Um, What would some of the things you'd like to talk about? 
Well, I think one of the things that certainly impacts uh, appellate practice is the use of technology uh, in the courtroom and electronic recording versus the use of a court reporter, um, things like that. And of course, we've, we're all um, beginning to learn more about e-filing and how that has been used in some of the circuit courts that make up the uh, Second District Appellate Court, which for your, your listeners, uh, the Second District Appellate Court stretches from Lake Michigan, including Lake County, all across the Wisconsin border to Joe Davies, which is where Galena is located, and then as far south as the south end of Carroll County, south end of Lee County and Kendall County, including all of DuPage and then back up um, to the lake, excluding Cook County. So we have a, a very diverse group of counties that make up the district. Some are more uh, technology savvy than others. As you know, DuPage County started the use of e-filing some time ago, although it's a limited pilot program. Uh, it has been uh, used here for some time. What types of other technologies are you seeing in law practice these days that are helping the attorneys prepare? Well, you know, I see it from a different perspective. Uh, it's been many years since I've been in practice, um, 20 almost, that I've been on the bench. So uh, things were very different last time I was in practice. But I do see it from uh, the point of view of evidence that's presented both in the trial court and then, of course, the evidence that we see uh, in the record on appeal. And clearly, technology is, uh, is growing. Lawyers are using more and more uh, types of technology. And I think as, uh, as, progress, as technology progresses, it's going to become more mainstream, more commonplace. Um, and like anything with clients, lawyers always know you can only use what your client can afford for you to use. Um, or to uh, add to their case. But as that becomes more mainstream, I expect the cost will come down and we will see uh, a greater use of that in trial courts and therefore we will see more of those issues raised uh, on appeal. Now when we look at technology, um, one of the things that comes to mind is a lot of the internet-based options for advertising, uh, including social media and some other things. And I know that that's, social media can be a, a potentially uh, hot topic for, for some, and we, we respect uh, your position as a judge and understand that you can't give personal opinions. Um, uh, but other that, having said that and that being aside, I know that you've used some social media in your own campaign for re-election. How's that been? You know, one of the, the largest uh, social media networks is, of course, Facebook. And uh, I, I think that in the future we're going to see some issues raised regarding uh, the use of Facebook. I think it was just as of the first of the year, Facebook had changed some of its, uh, its parameters. But, it's, uh, you know, the, the use of technology has certainly called uh, into question some of the questions of privacy and, you know, and, and when you publish something on Facebook, it is for the world to see. And uh, I think those are, are issues that are going to become fodder for the lawyers of the next generation. I agree. And one of the things that I often tell people when discussing image consulting is to always be careful when you're in public because anyone who has a camera on their iPhone can take a picture automatically upload it and send it to their Facebook friends. So 
it's real important that we tell our clients to always be mindful when you're in public that all eyes and ears are watching. Good advice. Um, uh, certainly good advice for a lawyer to give their client, uh, either in anticipation of litigation or certainly uh, when you're in it. What, you know, DuPage County Courthouse installed electronic recording uh, in the courthouse now some years ago. And in the courtrooms where it was uh, available, in our civil courtrooms and some of our divorce courtrooms, uh, we posted signs on the door. Be aware, electronic recording is activated in this courtroom so that everyone entering the room was aware that at any time your conversation might be uh, picked up by the uh, any one of a number of microphones that were present in the courtroom, not only just at council table, but at different places uh, in the courtroom. So again, it, but people needed to be put on notice that uh, they had to be careful um, that their conversations were not inadvertently overheard. When you talk about technology in the courtroom, one of the things that I was also thinking of is the court smart system recording, um, you know, that was going on. So for purposes of hearing, you don't have to worry necessarily about having a recording. Uh, what would you recommend um, for purposes of law practice management to those in other counties that don't have a court smart system? One of the things that um, I was surprised to see um, after I joined the appellate court was how many cases come before us where there is virtually no record in terms of no transcript of the proceedings. Um, and as you know, uh, there are alternatives to a transcript, one of which is usually a bystander's record. The best record is always to have a, um, the certified record, which is a court reporter uh, licensed by the state in the court uh, to create the um, certified record. But if you, if you have a client uh, who can afford the process and you know you're going to be in a courtroom where there is neither a live court reporter nor electronic recording available, one of the things that you can consider with uh, a client is to bring in a court reporter not for purposes of creating a transcript to be made part of the record, but that court reporter uh, would take down what was said from which you could uh, create a bystander's record that would be as accurate as, um, as possible. Because it is important, um, clearly in an appeal, that we have an adequate record upon which to really understand the arguments of the appellant and the appellee and, of course, to um, delve into our research on the record and our ultimate decision. Moving a little back to the ease of technology and the ease of e availability of things, I think of the Internet and the availability for uh, many litigants to use library Westlaw. And, for example, the Wheaton Public Library has Westlaw terminals that are free for uh, public access. Um, it has seemed to me that more practitioners are emphasizing different things in their law practice. Um, I, I've, I've not, I'm not suggesting that, you know, I'm, well, the, the point being that uh, clients are able to, you know, use Westlaw, and I've seen, I've actually heard attorneys 
suggest to their client that the client can go and find some cases they think best match or what I mean it's a it's a very different uh, you know era of technology that we're in now and things are more transparent how do you see the future of the legal profession uh, accommodating uh, you know increased transparency well particularly with the use of uh, you know a computer I in my office I have uh, as do all of the justices we have law clerks who work in our um, office near our home uh, as opposed to the courthouse in Elgin and they all use a computer to do their research. Um, very different from when I was in law school and a young lawyer where everything was the use of a book. And now uh, research is done through a computer and, and the actual reading of cases is done on your computer screen. That has really changed things because you don't necessarily uh, need a law degree to find interesting cases. You may not find everything out there, you may be misled by certain procedures if you're not, you don't have a legal education, but you certainly can find something out there. And I think that um, has perhaps made a more educated client um, who comes to a lawyer um, with some further information than clients did in, in prior times. Another thing that we're seeing uh, clearly in almost every circuit is that the increased number of pro se litigants and for your listeners, that means a litigant who is um, wishing to represent themselves and litigate their case without the assistance of an attorney. You know, small claims was the original place where we saw people uh, really prosecute or defend their, ca their civil case without the use of an attorney. But now we're seeing more and more of that uh, in domestic relations cases and other types of civil litigation. Um, so... The availability of bodies of law and case law on the Internet, I think, has uh, certainly aided that trend. Have you, see, have you seen a uh, remarkably uh, you know, increase in pro se litigants at the appellate level? We do see some, um, but I wouldn't say particularly more. Um, as you know, or may not know, in the, our work on the appellate court, about 50% of our work is criminal. And a criminal defendant uh, is entitled to have counsel uh, appointed for him or her. And so it is only, it's a rare case, uh, although we do have them, but it is the more unusual case where it is a pro se defendant in a criminal case. In civil, uh, it varies, and uh, depending on the nature of the case or the issue that's being brought forward, but a small percent. How about domestic relations? You know, um, my prior uh, position previous to being on the appellate court was I was the chief judge in DuPage County, and that was one of our issues was finding ways to accommodate pro se litigants. And clearly the area where we were seeing the, the greatest increase was in domestic relations um, cases be that pre-decree, that is where the divorce decree has not been entered, and certainly in post-decree matters, we saw a, uh, a great increase in the number of persons who were coming to court to address post-decree matters without the assistance of an attorney. In fact, uh, in DuPage County, we started a, uh, a uh, domestic relations night court, um, and that was designed to accommodate only persons who were representing themselves 
although graciously members of the DuPage County Bar Association, particularly divorce lawyers, uh, agreed to staff that courtroom in the late afternoon and evening simply to help people draft an order that accurately reflected what the trial judge had decided with respect to their motion or their issue, such that the next time they came back to court, there was a clear record in the court file as to what had previously happened. Um, great, great idea. I have to credit um, the DuPage County Bar Association for its support. Uh, judge Equi, who was really the driving uh, force, and the president of the bar was Tom Ellis at the time, who really got that off the ground. And uh, it's a great program, and it's and it accommodates the pro se's. Also, uh, removes pro se litigation from our day to day during the, the morning hours and early afternoon hours of um, regular court. Now, I would guess that that would be something that uh, is, is a, well, first of all, that's an excellent program, and when I first learned about it, I was excited, and I've uh, interviewed some people who are those night court uh, attorneys helping out, and you know, one of the things that I asked them was, what happens if uh, you know, a litigant comes up and wants to hire you? And they said, no, nope, you can't do that. Okay. They're there to uh, you know, facilitate you know, the court. So I think that's a wonderful um, opportunity that we have here in DuPage County. When talking about a record and building a record, um, did you like to touch anything more on um, being prepared and you know? Yeah, I think you know one of the things that you want to say to uh, to young lawyers and um, is that you cannot overestimate being prepared. You have to be prepared when you go into court. Um, know what your issue is, what you're going to argue, what your facts are, what your witnesses are going to say, um, and that seems like overstating the obvious. But preparation, true, complete preparation of your issue, whatever you're going to do in court that day, creates an accurate record. And an accurate record, from my perspective now on the appellate court, is critical. The better the record, the better the ultimate decision that we make in terms of clarity, that we're not, well, this wasn't fully uh, amplified in the trial court record or this was omitted. And of course, the you know the issues of waiver and forfeiture of issues try attempted to be raised on the appellate court, which were never really perfected on the lower level. So it's it's very important that uh, lawyers completely create their record. I think one of the things they also can do is when you're uh, you've completed your argument, your presentation of your side of the case, and of course the other side's had an opportunity. Uh, win or lose, be, ask that the court, the trial judge, uh, if he or she doesn't automatically do it, that they make very clear findings of fact and very clear rulings on the applicable law such that the record is very clear exactly what their ruling is and the basis for their ruling so that we have some insight into what the uh, trial court was uh, basing its decision on. Well, how about this as a question? What happens in the event that you are aware that you want to get the record developed with findings of fact and a, a good ruling of law? Um, what happens in the event that all the best laid plans go by the wayside and you, you step away from the bench and um, wish that you would have had a better record developed? What then? Well, you know, you... Um we see always uh, motions to reconsider that can be uh, filed 
and that gives you another opportunity to make sure that you do have a full record. And of course, in your motion to reconsider, you uh, illuminate this is what I believe the court ruled on. And of course, if there's a mistake, you would assume the trial court will correct you at that point. And then you have an opportunity to lay out why you saying to the judge, with all due respect, I feel that the facts were different, the law was different, there's a misapplication of the law, misinterpretation, et cetera. And um, that gives does give you a second opportunity to prepare and create a very clear, concise, complete record. And it seems to me that many of our judges appreciate the opportunity to clarify um, in the event that they can help facilitate uh, a ruling that everyone can live with, um, you know, then make, being wise of the, the appellate court's docket. Mm -hmm. Moving on, I'd like to ask about appeals a little bit more in depth. Um, one of the complaints that many litigants have is the delay, uh, why it takes so long to handle an appeal, why, why they, you know, especially if it's a, uh, an issue that the rest of a case may may hinge on. It's an interlocutory appeal, but it's you know forestalling everything. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. the, uh, litigants are going to court for status every 30 days, uh, and the bill's increasing. So, what types of things do you think about that? Well, you've raised a, c a couple of issues with respect to uh, that prior question. Um, First of all, with, with respect to clients going to court every day on the trial level, that should not be happening, or every month, excuse me, uh, that should not be happening because once the case is uh, on appeal, the trial court has lost um, its jurisdiction because we assume jurisdiction at that point. But um, it is an, certainly an issue that um, I have heard from many people during the last uh, 18 months campaigning throughout the district is, you know, and it's not just lawyers. It's just regular people say, you know, they want to tell you about this case that their brother-in-law had on appeal and without getting into the facts of it, because they know they can't talk to you about the facts, but they say, gee, you know, that case was on appeal for a really long time, and how come that's so? And I can tell you this, that, um, you know, why cases are on appeal for an extended uh, amount of time really varies from case to case. Um, as you know, as an attorney, um, Sometimes cases are litigated literally for years. And win or lose, one side is going to take that case up on appeal. And that record can be extensive to say the least. Uh, we've all also uh, seen news stories of the elongated trial that may go on for weeks and weeks and weeks, usually a very high profile, either criminal case or whatever. And again, it is an extensive record, usually with a number of uh, well-litigated pretrial motions, all of which uh, become part of the record and many of which are an issue raised on appeal. So it's the magnitude of the case, the detail, the extent of the record. But having said that, um, certainly our court is well aware of the, uh, uh, the time and the, the need for closure for uh, cases on appeal and to either resolve it one way or the other and let the parties move on with, with their disposition. So we have take, undertaken uh, a method to try to expedite the, um, the dispositions of appeal. You, and something that your viewers may not know is our Supreme Court has uh, 
taken one class of cases and required that, that get pri those types of cases receive priority. And that's, they're called accelerated cases, and they involve custody, adoption, change of custody, and, and or termination of parental rights. Those cases, um, our court has indicated that unless there are extraordinary circumstances, they should be resolved within 150 days uh, from the time the uh, appeal is filed. And we, everyone uh, attempts to honor that as best we can. Sometimes it just simply can't be done, um, but they, those cases absolutely have priority. Now, let's say you're a domestic relations practitioner and you have a custody case that you know is going to be under that 150-day timeline, and let's also say that your role is primarily a, you know, a trial attorney and um, you have several resources and uh, options out there. I suppose you might, um, you know, uh, connect with appellate counsel. Um, what type of things can a trial court, and really, I, I mean a basic divorce attorney who is in there and doesn't have, you know, five appeals a year, mm -hmm. may only have one appeal every five years. How can they best handle their current caseload, but then also address this 150 days and be mindful of the appellate court? Well, I think you raised a, a, an interesting point. In, in your question, you suppose that the attorney believes he's going to lose or she's going to lose the issue of custody. Once the trial court makes its, uh, its determination, uh, there's an opportunity for post-trial motions, because I would assume it would arise after there'd been at least a, a trial or uh, extended hearing on the issue of custody. I would advise that if you're going to refer that case to an, a, a different lawyer to do the appeal, that that's the operative time to make that referral um, after the, the ruling, so you know what where the court is, but prior to filing the post-judgment uh, or post-trial motion. Bring that appellate counsel in, let them review the record, um, review the facts of the case, what, what the issues are, and allow that attorney, that appellate attorney, to have some input into the post-trial motion because that will be the framework uh, for the issues properly raised and preserved on appeal. And I think that's uh, something that is many times overlooked as an option. It, of course, requires that the original attorney have that conversation with the client and you decide whether or not an appeal is appropriate from the client's perspective. Of course, it's always their decision. One of the things that I've seen in the world of appeals are several companies out there who are looking to out have attorneys outsource some of the ministerial uh, functions relevant to, to appeals. Um, I, I've seen virtual paralegals, virtual this, virtual that. Of course, um, I'm of the of the tribe that says keep everything within the walls of Illinois. Um, in family law, people are often very careful not to commit unauthorized practice of law by practicing law out of state. Um, so, you know, to that end, I always, in conversation uh, with people, suggest that you should find someone local. Um, always someone who's local knows uh, the local issues in the local courts the best. But um, what about outsourcing some of the, are there any functions, uh, you know, in appellate land for an appellate lawyer or trial lawyer that would maybe be appropriate to outsource? Well, I think that probably that question is best uh, raised with 
counsel who currently do appeals and are well-versed in the practice of, uh, of appellate law and appellate practice in Illinois. But I, I will tell you that in um, our courthouse in Elgin, uh, all of our work, uh, the legal work, is done by staff attorneys or research director. Even the clerk of the appellate court, Bob Mangan, he is a licensed attorney. Um, the only ministerial work is actually done within the clerk's office in terms of preparation of timelines, um, processing paperwork, and all the documentation, records, keeping track of the records as, they're, as they come in and, of course, go out to the appellant and then go to the appellee. Um, so those are the only types of things that are done that are non-legal work, is that ministerial work done by the clerk's office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, moving forward, we can open ourselves up for callers at this time. I will uh, continue to ask Justice Ann Jorgensen a couple questions about the appellate court generally for those who would benefit from that. Again, if you are interested in calling in and have a question, um, again, being mindful that uh, as an appellate court justice, uh, Justice Jorgensen cannot give personal opinions um, that's prohibited by the Judicial Code of Ethics. But if you're interested in calling in, again, our telephone number is area code 917-889-9732. Again, 917-889-9732. And you can press 1 to be queued in to speak, speak and be a guest. So going back to law practice management and uh, more interestingly today, the appellate court, uh, could you just give us a basic overview for those who would benefit from um, just going from basically, uh, what is the appellate court? Why do we have an appellate court? Well, we have three levels of courts in Illinois. The trial court, which is what we see on TV, which is what most people are familiar with, where there's a judge and a jury and witnesses and lawyers and arguments and an ultimate decision by a, a judge or a jury. Well, when those trials or hearings are completed, if one or sometimes both parties are dissatisfied with the outcome, they think a mistake was made and you hear attorneys on the courthouse steps, we're going to appeal this decision. That means that they are asking a, another court to look at the, what has already happened in the trial and determine whether there was a mistake and whether that mistake impacted the ultimate outcome of the trial. That's what we do. There are nine judges that sit on the Second District Appellate Court, and we hear all of the appeals that come out of the 13 counties that make up the second district that is really the, the top 20% of the state. What are those borders again, generally? We go from Lake County, Lake Michigan, all the way across the Wisconsin border to Galena, which is Joe Davies County, Carroll County that border Iowa, and then it zigzags along the south, including DuPage County, south end of Kendall County, south end of Lee County, south end of Carroll County. Are there any uh, types of cases that the appellate court cannot hear or does not have jurisdiction yes, over? Yes, there are. Um, we, as I said, we hear all of the trials that come out except death penalty cases, redistricting, or where a trial judge has determined that a statute is unconstitutional. Those three cases go directly, or types of cases, go directly to the Illinois Supreme Court. The appellate court never hears those types of cases. But everything else we do. Now, when, what's the general process and procedure when uh, a trial, an attorney in a trial court 
um, determines with their client that they want to take something up on appeal? Well, the first thing that, that they have to do is within 30 days of the final decision, file what's called a notice of appeal. It's a one-page document, gives the name of the case, the parties, the attorneys, and it says we wish to appeal the following order, whether it's the, a judgment, uh, a money judgment, a dissolution of marriage, it, we're just challenging custody, could be a criminal case, that's the conviction could be just the sentence, whatever it is, to outline exactly what it is that they're going to appeal. After that's filed, they then have a certain number of days to prepare the record, which we talked about earlier, includes all the documentation and transcripts of the proceeding, or that bystander's record, which would be prepared by the attorneys and certified by the trial court. That's the first major step. Mm -hmm. And then each side is given a chance to make their arguments to the court in writing in what's called a brief. It's just That's just the name of uh, a document that contains the statement of facts as each side sees it and the arguments of uh, the applicable law. The appellant, of course, will be saying the trial judge was wrong and appellate court, we want you to change the outcome. The appellee will be saying, no, 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 the trial judge was perfectly right and we want the judgment to stand as it was. And then um, in most cases, we do allow the appellant a chance to reply to what was raised. So how long will this take? You know, it, as we talked about earlier, that process really depends on the magnitude of the case. We hear everything. We may get, you know, that civil case that was pending for five years, the criminal case that was, you know, a two-month trial, or we may get, you know, a, uh, a small claims case that the trial took an hour. So it really depends on the extent of the record, um, how long the, the briefs are, et cetera. Um, so it's, there is no average case that we see. But then after all the documentation is in, that is the record and the briefs, that's when the case is actually assigned to a panel of three judges. What is different about the appellate court from a trial is that cases are always decided by a panel of three judges, not one. One of the three judges is designated as the author, and after everything has been submitted, that judge takes the first step and drafts a preliminary uh, outline of the facts and the applicable law and uh, to begin to shape the ultimate decision of the case. It's at that time that we decide whether an oral argument is appropriate. And that's an opportunity for the attorneys to come to the courthouse in Elgin, and they then would have an opportunity to argue to us why they think their side should prevail. And more importantly, I think, from the judge's perspective, is that it's our opportunity to ask them questions uh, about the applicable law or why they think that you know, a particular decision was wrong or right. And it's a, I think, in a lot of ways, some of the most exciting work uh, of the appellate court is the oral argument. Following that, we have our deliberations among the three of us and try to reach a consensus. Uh, a majority opinion is two out of the three. We try to keep it uh, a, you know, a clear decision with all three judges reaching the same. But if not, one judge can file what's called a dissenting opinion in which they reach the opposite conclusion and giving, and then in that opinion they give their reasons for why they think the case should go the other way. 
Um, sometimes we all agree on the ultimate outcome, but not on the rationale or the analysis to get to that position, and that's called a special concurrence or concurring opinion. And then finally, the ultimate decision is filed with the clerk of the court in Elgin, and the parties are notified, uh, and the trial judge is notified as to the decision on appeal. Now, I have a couple <coughs> more questions about the appellate court, but I suppose, uh, do they get another bite at the apple? What if they want a reconsideration of the outcome? What if they don't, what if they think that something was missed? On our, in the appeal? Yeah. Yeah, after um, we've uh, given them our written decision, they have a right to, to file what's called a petition for rehearing. And in that, um, the party that's, that's filing the petition can say, we really, with all due respect, Judge, we think you missed something in the facts, or we think that you've misapplied a particular case, um, and we really think you've kind of missed it here. Um, and we, of course, take those into consideration. Um, and the three of us will discuss that and the impact. And usually they're very specific in their um, point of view. It's not a, you know, everything was changed. They're usually very specific in saying in this issue or with respect to the application of this case. And then we will rule on that uh, petition for rehearing. Um, and, you know, sometimes even though the petition is denied, we may modify uh, the previously issued written opinion. The prior opinion is withdrawn and a new opinion um, or disposition is put in its place. Very interesting. Um, here's another question that I've always had. How are all the appellate judges selected? Are some appointed? Are they all elected? What's the procedure? Um, I think it's something that most attorneys know enough about, but not, you know, we don't all always know what goes on behind the scenes? You know, how, how does this all work? Okay. Well, our, um, the Illinois Constitution provides that there is one appellate court divided into five districts, and as we talked about, our district is the second district, top of the state. And the Constitution provides that there are six elected positions um, on the appellate court. That means those judges, as all judges who are elected in Illinois, were elected in a partisan process. That means a primary where a party is declared, the winner of the Republican nomination, Democratic nomination, appear on the November general ballot, and the whichever judge or lawyer wins the general election then is sworn in on the first Monday of December for a term. That's our process, and those are the elected seats uh, for each district. Now, uh, since the Illinois Constitution was last amended, you know, obviously there's been tremendous growth over the last 45 years or so um, in northern Illinois. And so the appellate work was no longer able to be completed by six elected judges. The Illinois Supreme Court rectified that issue by de uh, determining that it could assign circuit judges, that is trial judges, to do the work of the appellate court. So they remain a circuit judge but do the work of the appellate court. So the distinction means this. They run only for retention as a circuit judge. They are never elected as a, an appellate court judge. So more specifically, they're retained only by their local circuit. So, for example, a judge assigned to the appellate court from DuPage County 
would only run for retention in DuPage County. Whereas an elected judge for the Second District Appellate Court is elected by the voters of all 13 counties and would be retained, presumably, by the voters of all 13 counties, and that's the difference. That's how we wind up with nine judges uh, on the Second District Appellate Court. The six original, who are created by the Constitution and elected, and three, the Supreme Court has determined that our volume, our caseload, has required three additional judges to be assigned to do the work of the appellate court. So that's what we have. And when there is a retirement, either by uh, an assigned or elected judge, the Illinois Supreme Court appoints someone to fill that vacancy. The assigned position, you stay until the Supreme Court tells you to go back to the circuit court. Um, a vacancy created in an elected seat, that judge is appointed until the next general election. And as we are you know, approaching the primary election for 2010, there are two vacancies in the elected seat. Mine, as we previously discussed, and my colleague Mary Shastik. Mary Shastik was a uh, trial judge in Lake County. And in August of 2008, when Justice Barbara Geller and Johnson retired, the Illinois Supreme Court appointed Mary Shastik to run or to fill Barbara Geller and Johnson's seat. And in order to stay in that seat past December of 2010, she must successfully run in the primary and the general election. I'm running for the, a different vacancy that is for Tom Callum. Uh, with the same process, primary and general election. It's interesting to me that this is one of the, I think, the first time that there have two vacancies um, available in many, many years on the appellate court, because if you think about it, it was six elected positions. Two, that's a third of the elected court uh, will be elected uh, in 2010. Wow. You know, when you talk about the growth of courts and the appointing, uh, you know, more justices, and you think of the docket and the caseload that's, that's there, um, some of the bells that go off in my head are with the advantage of pro se night court, um, that litigants are able to, uh, you know, bring a pro se appeal with more ease now today. I, I wonder if the volume um, might increase to require more justices and uh, a larger appellate court and maybe a more complex system of disposition of cases? I, I don't know. Those are the things that, um, when you discuss these uh, items, those are the things that I think about. Well, certainly these, you know, the Supreme Court has um, the prerogative to assign judges as they see fit to the appellate court. And, um, you know, it, more, more people, more cases in the trial court generally mean more appeals. Um, are created because there's just, by percentage, more cases being litigated in mm -hmm. the trial court. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that uh, some friends and I have discussed um, has been uh, the different types of cases that, that some of the lawyers would like to see taken up on appeal to get a decision where, you know, that sometimes there are cases that are just perfect to take up, but either the litigants don't have the money or the lawyers don't have the time, um, you know, so there's, I always call it the gray area of law, um, where everyone knows that this is a decision that should be taken up. We could really use a second district, um, you know, decision on that. Um, it would be nice to be able to write to the second district and ask, 
based on a hypothetical. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. we don't do hypotheticals. <laughs> we can't do that. Well, listen, thank you, uh, Justice and Jorgensen, for uh, appearing on our show today. Do you have anything else you'd like to add to the listeners in uh, to the, regarding the world of law practice management or the Court of Appeals or anything else that you I think just, would be beneficial? I think uh, it's a wonderful time to be entering the practice of law. I think that the... Uh, the practice is going to change dramatically in the next 10 to 15 years with the the changes in technology and the speed at which technology is advancing is just staggering. It is. Um, I think about the, when I was in practice, um, a prosecutor and a criminal defense attorney, there wasn't even DNA, you know, when I was uh, first a prosecutor in the early 80s. And Look at where we are today. Everything was hand-typed then. You, you did research. You had to do it in the books. And today, when was the last time you typed anything? Everything is word processed. Everything is created on a computer. We do our research on a computer. Um, some of the sophisticated discovery and technology that's just out there in the mainstream, I think, is going to make a dramatic impact on the practice of law. You know, I, the last pitch that I would make to your listeners is that, uh, you know, Illinois, like it or not, does elect its judges, and I would invite your uh, listeners to become educated voters, to learn about myself and my colleague, Mary, Justice Mary Shastik from Lake County, who is also running uh, for the appellate court second district to fill the vacancy of Barbara Gilman Johnson. There's also circuit judges races in many of the counties in uh, in the second district. There's many in Kane, DuPage, Lake, and and the western uh, counties. So become educated because the judges, both in the trial level and certainly on the appellate court, we have a tremendous impact on people's lives. We the decisions that are made on the appellate court really shape the future of the law. I mean, we were just talking about the impact of technology. The other huge impact is the case law that is written by appellate court judges uh, that shapes future divorce cases, future criminal cases, future civil cases. So uh, I urge you, become an educated voter, learn about myself, again, my colleague Mary Shostak, and uh, cast your vote, because voting is always important. It's a constitutional right and uh, understand who you're voting for and why you're voting. Well, let me ask a little bit more about that question. Where would some resources be that, you know, we all see signs in yards, um, you know, there are websites, and it, now, you know, DuPage County is a changing county, and I've seen, uh, you know, more, uh, more people running from, you know, different backgrounds, different parties, different agendas, and a lot of people are looking for a resource that you're going to get clear Great, honest. Here are the facts. Here's what the seat that here that's the seat that's up for election. Um, what are the criteria? What so that you know we're seeing some uh, you know uh, objective criteria. Well, the criteria to uh, to run for uh, election for judge, be it circuit, appellate, or supreme, she must be a licensed attorney in good standing um, and live in the jurisdiction that you are seeking. Uh, election for. So I must live in one of the 13 counties. Circuit judges running in DuPage County must live in DuPage County. Other than that, there's very little specific criteria. Now, what I would say to people is if you want to learn about a candidate, look at their website. That will tell you, obviously, it's we only put out the good stuff about <laughs> ourselves, but it tells you about our background. 
um, what we've done, what we've accomplished, not only in our career as a lawyer, but our career on the bench, if it's the sitting judge who's running, and also what else they've done in their life to contribute back to the profession, to their bar association, et cetera. You know, whether you were an officer in an organization, whether you participate in your bar, are you willing to be an author and a speaker and go out and try to educate the public, or are you somebody that just does your job and goes home? I think that's something that a voter might want to know. I would also tell people to look at what your local bar associations do. Um, bar associations are lawyers who have appeared in front of these judges. They know who works, who doesn't work, and, and who does a good job, who doesn't do a good job. Uh, I've been through a number of evaluations over my 20 years, and I have to say the Bar Association does a, the DuPage County Bar does a very in-depth uh, review of each candidate. They look at your references, uh, the work you've done. Um, they also will call attorneys who've appeared in front of you, not necessarily the people that you've given them names to. Um, and then the decision of the DuPage County Bar Association is uh, usually released uh, to the press, and uh, the recommendations of the bar, um, I think, carry a lot of weight because it is the people who see what you do every day, not just when you appear as a candidate in front of a group for an hour or so, but what you've done over your career. That's It's, it's very interesting to find the amount of information that, that is out there um, and how much work you know goes on that most of us don't see. Uh, one of the things that I've seen in a lot of our campaigns, um, whether it be for uh, an elected position for judge or you know another alderman or whatever it is in politics, there are there's so much more transparency now with candidates through a lot of the use of social media. Um, we saw a lot of that in President Obama's campaign. Um, it, you know, so that was interesting. Um, you know, we see that also. You know, now for many of our Republicans here in DuPage and you know Democrats alike that um, a lot of people have, you know, utilized a lot of social media. So there are a lot of outlets there um, that we can all reach out and find. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's a really interesting time um, to not only be involved in, in law, but, um, you know, politics generally. So, um, it's, again, it's a very interesting time. And I thank Justice Ann Jorgensen for taking the time to uh, speak to us today. And just a little about our ending blurb, um, ALRPRA Incorporated, again, um, is a law practice management agency. Our mission is to provide solutions allowing lawyers to spend more time practicing law and less time managing the business of law. Our mission's underlying values are transparency, flexibility, and humility. Again, we are a full-service law practice management agency available nationwide when quality matters to your production and promotion. Again, thanks for everyone for turning, uh, tuning in today. You can find more information about us at www.alrpra.com, and we thank you always for your time.